So I don't know. I've always sort of lived in language. We've all felt a part of that story. How I look at it is that poetry is not the transcription of experience, it's the transformation of it. You're listening to Retellings, the Washington University creative writing podcast series. Welcome to Retellings, a part of Hold That Thought at Washington University. I'm Rebecca King, and today I speak to novelist Katherine Davis about the power of stories and the ghost in the machine. In the second half of the episode, Jordan Jacks, a recent graduate of the MFA Creative Writing Program at Washington University, tells me the most important lesson Catherine taught him. Catherine Davis is the Hearst Writer-in-Residence at Washington University, where she teaches fiction. She is the author of six novels, including The Thin Place and Versailles. She has received the Kafka Prize for Fiction by an American Woman and awards from the American Academy of Arts and Letters and the Guggenheim Foundation. Her most recent work, Duplex, will be released on September 3rd, 2013 from Grey Wolf Press. You can hear a reading selection from this novel in a second podcast. Catherine, one of the things that I really loved about Duplex is the history and mythology you gave this world you created with robots and humans and sorcerers. Where do you start when you create worlds? In a way, the world in this book is exactly like the world I grew up in. I really wanted to write about the street I grew up on. And I realized at some point that these people who had lived down the block from me, it was a very strange family, and it occurred to me that maybe they really had been robots. That just sort of came into my head. And then it seemed to me like the time period in which I grew up and the, the moment where the book starts seemed very much like a future time in addition to the time that it actually was. So the 50s also seemed like some point when there were sorcerers and robots. That was how I started, just thinking about the Abbott family being robots. <laughs> That's such a great place to start. How long did it take you to write Duplex? It took a really, really surprisingly long time because there were a number of what I would call false starts. So I don't even know that I want to add up how many years it took (laughs) finally to get to where I knew what I wanted to do. I would write something, and I would like very much the sound, but that just didn't go anywhere. And there was a bunch of stuff like that that happened. So if I leave out that part, it took me maybe two and a half, three years to really write the book, to get it the way I wanted it. I write pretty slowly, and I do work my way all the way through to the end of a book before getting too fussy in fixing things that came earlier on, which doesn't mean I just write whatever comes out of me thinking I'll fix that up later. I'm pretty fastidious, but I uh, do at least one really substantial revision. You sort of don't know what the book you're writing is until it's all there, and then you notice things about it that you weren't aware of while you were writing it. And I think that's a really crucial part of writing a novel. I mean, you're with the novel for such a long time 
while your life continues on. So it stands to reason that whoever you were when you started writing the book is not going to be exactly the same person you are when you finish that initial draft. And all of what's gone on in you in that time has to be taken into account when you revise. And you also see connections between things that are often just really surprising that you hadn't thought you were doing as you were writing. Well, so much in Duplex seems to be about stories and storytelling. Janice, in particular, from the selection that you read, seems to almost get a power by telling stories. Do you see a power in telling stories like her? I do. It's funny, I sort of based Janice on an older girl on the street where I grew up, and she did tell us stories, and she was a terrible liar. And, I mean, she wouldn't just say, oh, I'm going to tell you a story. She would tell us stories about the people on the street, you know, like, did you know that Mr. and Mrs. Line gang were going to prison? No, no, oh, well, yeah, because he's a forger, and... She told us that this other really nice old German couple were spies. I mean, it was fascinating. We couldn't get enough of this, even though I think we all sort of knew that Judy, her name was Judy, wasn't telling us the truth. And she was a very, very good storyteller. She would sort of start something, and then once she got it started, she really knew how to embellish. And I think I've always loved being enthralled to someone telling me a really great story. Once you get coaxed into the world of the storyteller, by the storyteller, they have enormous power over you, you know, for good and for ill. (laughs) Many of the girls in this book go through adolescence, kind of a violent coming of age. I wondered if you felt like that is typical. I think it's exactly what the experience is like, only I did take it to an extreme in sort of each of the three stories that Janice tells the changes that go on in your body, the changes that go on emotionally, and then the way the world around you changes because you've changed. It's pretty terrifying. You could also say, oh, and it's a wonderful thing. But in general, I think there's something so terrifying. And that was one of the things I wanted to write about. So I know this is a tough question, but if Uh you had to, if you had to narrow it down, which writers do you feel most indebted to? Well, definitely Virginia Woolf. Lewis Carroll, who was crucial to me as a child. And and in sort of in that same vein, Hans Christian Andersen. I feel like my imaginative sensibility was really formed by having them read to me when I was little and then reading them. I read The Metamorphosis at least once every year. (laughs) That was very important to me. I feel like Tolstoy and Henry James and Nabokov. Now I'm just starting to name lots of people. So this is your seventh novel. Do you see a kind of arc or progression between all of your books? In a way, they don't obviously have all that much in common, except that I wrote them. I'm really interested in what the animating spirit is, what it is that is in each of us that makes us be alive. And so there are a lot of different ways of getting at that. In Duplex, because I was thinking about robots, it was sort of coming at it from the other side of the coin. So what animates a robot that's different from what animates a human being? 
I was trying to think of how I wanted to ask about the soul because it plays such a big role in this book. The first chapter is body without soul. Right. Ever since I was really little, and I guess I heard about souls, there wasn't anything that was more interesting to me than thinking about what that meant and what it means to be alive. So there's a religious component to that, and I was raised going to church. And when I was really little, I was just excessively pious, I guess is the best word. One of the games I used to play was I used to pretend to be the Virgin Mary, which only involved putting a blanket over my head and, you know, kneeling. That was all I did with a little tiny tears doll for Jesus. And and then I just went pretty far in the opposite direction. Even during time when I had no connection whatsoever to religion, I was really interested in the same subject. I think I like it because there's also no really good explanation or answer when you start thinking about this most mysterious of questions. Those are the sorts of things I've always liked most to think about. What would your advice be for beginning writers? It's really simple advice, and that is, if you want to be a writer, first you must be a reader. So my advice to a young writer or an old writer is to read everything and read and read and read. And then the other part of the advice is to write, because you can't be a writer if you don't write. Yeah. Some days it's hard to get into the writing chair and make yourself... Yeah, you just have to do it. And you have to realize that waiting around for the muse is a losing proposition. I think maybe it's different for poets. It may be different. That's <laughs> all. That would be an interesting program, actually, a kind of point-counterpoint with a poet and a fiction writer. But for writing fiction, you need to be at your desk every day writing. And some days it will go well, and other days it won't go so well. But if you're there every day, if the muse does come along, then you'll be there ready to meet the muse. And the rest of the time, you just, you know, a lot of it is solving problems. Catherine's advice to simply write is one that often comes up in writing workshops. One of my favorites by Dan Pointer is, if you wait for inspiration to write, you're not a writer, you're a waiter. Jordan Jacks, a third-year fellow and recent graduate of the MFA Creative Writing Program at Washington University, met with me to explain how Catherine taught him not just about process, but about the psychology of writing. My name is Jordan Jacks. I'm the junior writer-in-residence at WashU. So I've had Catherine Davis in classes for three years. She taught the MFA workshop, but also a series of craft classes. Two of those classes were novel workshops geared around students writing novels instead of just short stories. And the other was a class on biographies and stories of lives in fiction. The thing that she says a lot that I think about the most is that nothing is wasted which is a particularly encouraging thing for any young writer to hear because often you'll expend vast amounts of energy on something that doesn't end up going anywhere. And I had a story that never really went anywhere for the first two years that I was here, and she valiantly tried to help me salvage it. 
And I remember telling her at some point, I've taken this story apart and I can't put it back together. What a waste of time. And she said, no, not a waste of time. Nothing is wasted. When you write a story and it doesn't pan out, when you write a story and it turns out that it's really bad, <laughs> when you think you've wasted all this time, when you've lost something, those things end up being useful somehow. And true enough, as, as is usually the case, she was right. A year later, I ended up returning to that story and finishing it. And it was a completely different story. Instead of 20 pages long, it was two pages long. But that's the length that needed to be. It just took me three years to write it. I'm pretty young. I'm 25. I was 23 when I got here. And for me, I hadn't had the experience of working a long time on something and it not panning out just because I'd never worked a long time on something. And that piece of advice was just so great to me. That's not even really a craft advice. That's more the psychology of writing, which I think, I mean, this is sort of a, a larger version of that point, which is that she taught me to understand the psychology of writing which is sometimes the things you feel you have the least control over on the page are what fascinate you. There were things that I wrote that I didn't really know why I was doing them, and yet they were moments of fascination. And she was very good at, when I had written something, zeroing in on a sentence or a paragraph saying, this is the fascination point. I can tell this is the kernel around which you're trying to build something. And I mean, just knowing that other people could understand writing as a, as a sequence of fascinations and perhaps like subconscious emanations that then become organized, that was new to me. And her model of writing, which is if something is feeling good to you and you don't know why, keep writing it and just try to write it to the end and then see what you've got, that made sense to me. But I mean, overall, I would say nothing is wasted. That made me also feel like it was okay to write a lot and write things that often were not very good and then just bury the stuff that's not good. It came up, I think, once in class where she said, well, why don't we think about writing like painters think about painting, which is you just work constantly and throw out the stuff that doesn't do anything. I think most of the time that process is put under the heading failure and why you should get used to failure. Catherine's the only person I've ever taken a writing class from who doesn't see that as failure, who sees that as just process. The process of writing isn't a thousand failures and one success. The process of writing is an evolving thing that never really stops. And every once in a while, you'll show somebody something or a part of it, and it is good. For every moment that is good, it's okay to be bad sometimes. She taught me it was okay to just sort of follow a line as far as it takes you and then see what you have. Many thanks to Catherine and Jordan for meeting with us. You can hear a reading selection from her forthcoming novel, Duplex, on our website. And thank you for joining us for the final episode of Retellings. Just as Catherine described the surprising connections made when writing a novel, we've had just as much fun discovering the threads that run through this series, including the importance of reading and the necessity of persistence if one is to become a successful writer. I hope this series has provided a little inspiration and perhaps a few new books to add to your reading list. Be sure to watch out for Catherine's novel, Duplex, on September 3rd, and thanks again for listening to the Hold That Thought summer series, Retellings.